At the beginning of the parasha, we find that Rivka is expecting, and she has some misgivings and unclarity about what's the nature of her, of the, the Vlad that will eventually come out. By the Vlad, or as was going to be known to her later, was going to be twins, but she didn't know that. By they were kicking inside of her. And Rashi says that when they would pass by the Yeshiva of Shem Be'ever, the base Medrash, then there would be a kick. The baby would want to come out. And then when they would pass by the Makim of Adizara, then of course there would be another kick, which was Esav. Batelech Lidrash Hashem, she went after she felt these kicks and she didn't know what it meant. Why is it that when I pass by a base medrash, I feel that there's some, the Uber is trying to get out? And when I pass by the Makhm of Adizara, then the Uber is trying to get out. What is going on over here? And she went to speak to the Rabbani Shalom to find out what exactly is the story. What was exactly the concern of Rivka? The biggest concern of Rivka was that, as we said, she had no idea at that point that it was twins. That's what she was told. But at that time, she thought that it was one uber in her stomach. And one uber was running after both the base Medrash and a base of a Dezara. That was the most frightening thing to Rivka. Rivka to have a child would be what's called Pesach al-Shteh a child who dances on both sides of the fence, that tries to be partially somebody that's engaged in Torah, and also at the same time interested in Avedizara, that to Rivka was the scariest notion in the world. A child who has this duality, a child that's this interested, not just in Emuna, but also in other types of beliefs or notions. This is somebody that she says, What's the point? How is it Shayach for me to have a child that will be a child that is such a type of person that's interested in the base Medrash, who gives a kick to go out of the base Medrash, which is wonderful, when he passes the base matter, she wants to get in there, but at the same time also has interests in Beisav Zara. I was thinking that it could be that Asab Shaf Taimerim Kane Lamaza Naichi. What does that mean, Lamaza Naichi? She should say what's going on? What's Lamaza Naichi? And I believe that the Darf Jush we might be able to say that the Yisayda Yisaydas of Amunah, the first mitzvah in the Torah, according to the Rambam, in the Sefer Mitzvah, is to be Maimon and Hashem. That we have to believe that there is a Rabbeinu Shlaylam who is Bayrei, who manages Shlaylam, who is Hayahayva Viyia, that completely controls everything. That's the Iker Amunah. That we learn out from the Pasuk, Anoichi Hashem Leikecha. I am Akrish Parhu, that's the first mitzvah in the Torah, that's the Isaida Isaidis. And we know that Akrish Parhu spoke out two Dibrais. Anoichiv Layyah Mikyagvura Shamanum. We heard both Anoichi and Layyah and Chazal tell us that just like Zakhir Bishamar was Vidibor Echad Nemru, Anoichi and Layyah also were said Vidibor Echad. Why? Why did HaKadosh Baruch Hu speak them out B'dibor Echad? And the Torah says, Pasha, because Anoichi itself, just believing in a Rabbeinu Shalom, but also believing in another form of idolatry, in Shitov, 
that there might be a Rabbi Nishlam, but there's also a partner, Khalila. Or there's some other forces in the world besides for the Rabbi Shalom. Or there are some other natural forces, perhaps, in the Bria. All of these types of Deus Kaisvas, all of these Trefina Machshavis, Anoichiv you have to take it as a package. You cannot believe in Anoichi and not, and not completely turn your back on Elohim Acherim. You have to have Anoichi and you also have to have Loyeh Lechalim Acherim Alpanai. If you think you can have a noichi, plus, if you can have a noichi and something else, that's not a noichi. That's nothing. And so, Rivka Imenu is saying, What's the point of a noichi? What's the point, what's the good of the fact that my child wants to get out when he passes by Yeshiva Ashuel, that he's interested in that? What's the point of a noichi? which is wonderful, but without if you're if you want to have, you want to play the field, you want to have a little taste of both, you want to have an that's not an anaychi, that's nothing, that's not Judaism. And so this was the ultimate fear of Rivka, Imenu, that she should have a child who she davened so hard for and who's going to be somebody that's interested in going to the base Madrash by Yisraelitzu, but at the same time also has other interests that they should go and pass by and have a desire and have an interest in exploring the options there also. That's nothing. And then when she went to Shein Ve'ever and they told her what the Rabbani Shalom has in store. Shnei Goyim it's twins. It's not one child that's Baisech HaShteh but it's two children. And one is going to the yeshiva, the other one is going to go and do Avedi Zarah. That she could live with. It's not a, it wasn't a big nachas to find out that she had an ace in her stomach. But at least it's not one child with two separate interests. An, a, 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 an interest in the Rabbani Shalom in Shema Yisrael Hashem Alekein Hashem Echad, in Anoich Hashem Lekecha, but also with a shittah of something else, that's something that was completely unacceptable. That was something that was completely disgusting to Rivka Imenu. And that's why, until she found out that it was actually two separate people within her, she, her mind was not at ease. When we're discussing issues of emuna, when we're discussing such issues of anoichi Hashem Malikacha, and having a pure belief in the Rabbeinu Shalom without any other foreign beliefs, we have to understand what emuna is. We first have to stay, take a step back and try to understand what is emuna. When we speak about having a belief in God, I believe. What does that mean? And Schwab says that the English translation of emuna as being to believe is a very shvacha translation. It's not true. Belief means, you know, if you believe, you know, I believe in, uh, I believe tomorrow it might rain. That's not a, that's not a real, that's a, that's a muna, that's a shvacha, that's a statement that you believe might be factual or may not be. You know, don't sue me if, it, if, it, if it's not raining tomorrow. I believe it might rain tomorrow. Belief leaves a lot open. When you say, I believe in something, and I believe that this might happen. It's not so convincing. That's not a muna. Muna is not belief. Belief implies that you really need to, you know, it's, it's a stretch. And muna, according to Rav Schwab, is an absolute conviction that there is a Rabbi Yishalom. You have to actually be sure Positive, without any status whatsoever, that there is one Rebbeinu Shalom in the world who is Bayer and Manig, with all of the things that the Rambam describes that you need to believe in when it comes to Rebbeinu Shalom. But it can't be with any form of status. It can't be with any vagueness or fogginess. It has to be with total clarity, with total focus, and total absolute conviction in the fact that there is a Rebbeinu Shalom. That's what Amuna is. 
If an amuna is a shaky form of amuna, if it's an abstract amuna, if it's something that's not really tangible, if it's not what the Muslim call amuna chushis, it has to be something that's really bechush, that you're feeling it tangibly, then it's not amuna. He brings from Rav Hirsch that amuna comes from a Russian kasher yisa ha'aymen es Aymen is like a nurse, somebody that holds a baby, like a mother who holds a baby and nurses the baby, takes care of the baby. That's the way amuna has to be. We have to feel that we are in the arms of the Rabbi Shalom. We can feel the Rabbi Shalom. We we understand that he exists. And we completely trust in him, we believe in him with full heart and soul, and we know that he's there. That's what Amuna is. Rav Schwab says an interesting thing, he says, Forgive me for using Lashem B'nai Adam to explain this, but only if I view the Rabbanisham Kaviyachel as a real person who knows me, watches me constantly, and has a special interest in me personally, can I feel the yearning to come close to him? If a person just views God as some abstract force in the Bria, which I don't really understand, I don't really know, I don't feel any real personal connection to, but I believe in God. It's very abstract, we don't understand it really, we don't feel it, that's not emuna. that's something else. That's maybe a shvacha emuna, it's, but it's not emuna as Jews are supposed to believe. When we have a mitzvah, lahamin, that there's a mitzvah to believe in the Rabbi Shalom, it has to be absolute. It has to be clear. It has to be just like you know that somebody else is here. You know who your father is. You know who your mother is. They're real people, so you can identify with them. You can talk to them. You can feel close to them. That's how you have to feel about the Rabbi Shalom, mamish, like a real person. It's not a real person. There is no shaykhness of the Rabbi to a real person. But in terms of our identity with him, in terms of the way we feel towards him, it has to be the way that we would feel towards a real person. It has to be that real and that tangible. That's not zero. We, we know that he's not a real person. But our relationship to him and with him must be real. And if it's abstract, if it's something that, I don't know, I never gave it much thought, but I was taught that there's a God, whatever that means, that's not emuna. Emuna has to be without any sphakis, it has to be definite and absolute, and with conviction and with full force. And that is what emuna is. We find this with Eliyahu Baharakamel, before at the beginning of the Shmuz, I mentioned a term called being Paisach al Shteasiifim, which is a commonly used term, which means that somebody is basically dancing by both chasnas. He's dancing by this chasna, he's dancing by the other chasna. He's sort of playing the field, he's leaving his options open. What's the site? Where is the makar for this statement of being Paisach al Shteasiifim? It's a pasuk in Malachim, Malachim Aleph, Parak Yud Ches, Pasuk Chaf Aleph, with Eliyahu was living in a time that a lot of people were very, very interested, not just in worshipping the Rabbani Shalom, but the Yidin also, secretly or openly, were also being Ayve to the Baal. The Baal was one of the major Avedizaris in history, and it was very, very attractive to a lot of Yidin. And it was very widespread, this worshipping of the Baal was something that the people were very, very into. And Eliyahu, of course, the Navi Hashem, was furious about this, and he wanted to prove definitively that the Baal was not the right God to worship, but the Rabbani Shalom was, Lahavdil. And we know that Eliyahu, Anavi, says to the people about Carmel as he was standing on Har Carmel. How much longer? How long do you think that you're going to be able to continue dancing on both options? That you're going to continue going to shul, going to yeshiva, learning, acting like a firmayid, 
and at the same time secretly living this double life and also worshiping the Baal. This can't go on forever. This can't go on any longer. In Hashem, Elohim says Elio, if Hashem is your God, then follow him. And if you believe in the Baal, go after him. But you cannot have both. It's not with the Baal. You cannot compare and you cannot live a life that we believe in two separate things. You believe either, either in the Rabbani Shalom or in the Baal. You believe in Hashem and it has to be complete. And just follow Him without any other distractions. If you believe in the Baal, fine, go and worship the Baal. But leave the Rabbani Shalom alone. Don't think that you can have it both ways. Don't think that you can both have the Rabbani Shalom and also other Abba desires that's not going to wash, that doesn't work. You cannot be Pesach Ashtayasifim. You cannot, as Rivka was worried, have the instinct to run after and after a base medrash when you pass by that, and then when you pass by a Tumma, pass by and try to think about what's going on in there. That's not Yiddishkeit. And the Yidin had a very hard time achieving this Amuna Vadois, this clarity in Amuna. To the degree that even after they were shown by Elio, we know that by Elio, by Arkhamel, there was a nace that happened. He said that there was going to be, if God is really God, there's going to be a fire that comes down, and it's going to eat the oil up, and it's going to eat the, the, the Eitzim, it's going to consume a lot of things that were on the Mizbeach over there, the Ofar and the Mayim, and sure enough, that happened. Vayar and the nation saw what happened there. and they fell on their faces. and they said, Hashemu Elokim, Hashemu Elokim, that Hashem is Taka the God. Meaning, they admitted that the Baal is no longer an option, but Hashem is the only option. Revolvi brings from Daniel Mikelim. Rabbi Daniel Mikalim was one of the Rosh Yeshivas of the great Yeshiva of Kalim. He was the leader of Kalim when the Nazis came in and took out the entire city of Kalim out to the killing fields in the outskirts of town. He spoke to the people, Rabbi Daniel, he spoke to his community and to his Yeshiva and he gave a beautiful last drasha to them. And after he concluded his Joshua, he looked at the Nazi and he said, I have finished what I have to do, now you may do whatever you have to do. And then that's when the Nazis shot all of the Eden of Kelim, including the daughter of the Altaf in Kelim, a, a woman perhaps in her 80s or maybe older. And they all fell into a mass ditch and, were, and, and died al-Kiddush Hashem. Reb Daniel Mikelem said, and we've all heard it from him, that... Even at that point, even when Eliyahu showed definitively that the fire came down just as he said it would, and ate the carbon and ate the Aitzim and ate the Alpha and the Mayim and everything, their Amuna still was not Amuna Badaish. Shockingly, you would think that this was going to prove without a without a shadow of beyond the shadow of a doubt that Akhishbarak was Elikim. And they even said it. But the fact that they have to repeat it, says of Daniel Mikhail, why do they have to repeat it? Why do they have to say Hashem Hashem Elohim? Because their emuna was still not pure. It was not whole yet. They were sort of like, they had to repeat it, as if to convince themselves of something, even though it should have been obvious. But to attain emuna v'adois, to attain this emuna b'chush, it's very difficult. And even sometimes when you see a nace in front of you, it's still difficult. People still, people that are already used to thinking about other things, other Avedizaras, other Amunas, or, or questioning the Amuna of the Rabbani Shalom, it's very hard to once again come back to pure faith and be able to convince oneself in this Amuna. Amuna has to be pure, it has to be clear. But if it's not, if it's tainted, it's very difficult to rehabilitate oneself. In the Piyot that we say, 
on Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, B'chol Ma'aminim, one of the highlights of the Chazars Hashat and Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, we say, B'chol Ma'aminim, Shehu Haya Haiva V'yir, and all of us believe that he is Haya Haiva V'yir, after the Shpach, who was and is and will be, Havadai Shemai came to Yilasai. Havadai Shemai, his name is Vadai, his name is Havadai. Why is his name Havadai? Because Havadai is the same gematria as the Shem Havaya. Havadai Shemai, by the same token that his name is Havadai, came to Yilasai. His praise also must be Havadai. Rabobi says that that means that if you want to know how to worship Hashem, it has to be with a vados. It cannot be with a suffix. If a person has a suffix in his heart, that's not really a munashlema. Munashlema is a fact. It has to be the vados. I am clear. I am definite. I am absolutely convinced with my entire being that HaKadosh is Elikim. Anything short of that is not a munashlema. This is something that's so fundamental. This is the Aleph phase of Yiddishkeit. And that's why it's so important. Last week we spoke about Ashkach Pratis, which is another one of the Aleph phase of Yiddishkeit. And this week we're going to speak about this Emuna Vados, this Emuna Bachosh, and how it's so necessary for us to make sure to hold on to it. A lot of times, since I was a Bachar in Yeshiva until today, as a Mashkiach, there are so many people that I know that do not have this Amunah Vados. Even Yeshiva Bacham that sit and learn Kitsais and Nesivas and Rashkas. They are not convinced that Amunah Shalema, that there is, that the Rabbanu Shalom is the only Rabbanu Shalom. They think about it as either Rabbanu Shalom plus, Rabbanu Shalom question mark, or other sorts of things that have seeped into their minds over their lifetimes that, that refuses to admit to the fact that there is a Rabbi Shalom and only a Rabbi Shalom. It's shocking. Yeshiva Bachar, Yidin, people that are Shemr Shabbos, how's it Shayach? But it's very, very Shayach. There are many people that it's a, it's a, it's a machla that is very, unfortunately, very common. That people are very shaky when it comes to Amunah. Their Amunah is not clear. Their Amunah is not rock solid. And they sometimes tend to have good days, sometimes bad days, sometimes they're not believing and they don't want to come to davening, they don't believe in the Rabbi Shalom, they don't believe in Tiramisinai, they don't believe in a lot of things that is so basic to the Amunah. And that's why it's important for us every once in a while to discuss these issues and not to take it for granted that we're all Maminim B'nei Maminim in the fullest sense of the word. There are people that come up to me very, very, very often, and they say, Rabbi, I just don't believe. Or, Rabbi, I'm not sure, and it's really affecting my Yiddishkeit. I'm not sure. And so we have to understand what are we going to do to make sure that our Amuna stays, Amuna Shulema, that our Amuna is without this Amuna plus, Amuna minus, without Shitov. Without a noichi, with a with a without a complete loyelacha, how are we going to make sure that our amuna stays beautiful, that our amuna stays positive and perfect and stark? The first thing that we have to do in order to make sure, in order to ensure that our amuna is perfect, is surmeira. We have to make sure. Ten times out of ten times when a bacher comes over to me with these issues, I ask, where did you come up with such ideas? Where did you start thinking about anything but? Assuming that you went to a regular yeshiva katana, you went to a regular Jewish day school, or that you had rabbeim, you had rabbonim. So where would this happen? How would it happen that a good yeshiva bacher would suddenly start having status? And ten times out of ten times, the answer is the same. I went online. I went online, I was doing research about something, and I stumbled across a certain website, a certain blog, and there I saw that it was, you know, there were issues, 
Whatever it may be, if it's about the Bria, about Bria Sa'ilam issues, if it's about Paramisinai issues, if it's about Amunis Chachamim issues, whatever it is, it doesn't matter. Whatever's on the menu that day on that blog, that's what I read. And I must admit that it makes a big Rishim on me. This is not just, some, this is not missionary blogs. These might be blogs that are written by quote unquote Orthodox rabbis. But a lot of times there's an agenda for some reason that they don't, they want to be broader, they want to show that we don't have to only think one way, we don't have to be so in a, you know, trapped in a box, and we have to explore some other options. And the more that you expose yourself to these days, the more that you read, the more that you consume, the more that you inhale these toxic fumes, the more the amuna is not going to be the same. The amuna will get eroded ever, ever slowly but surely. It will happen. And it might start off with just a little peek at something, but that will seed. That seed will germinate in the mind until it gets larger and larger, until it really rocks our entire foundation of amuna. The Gemara says about Acher. Acher, Elisha ben Abuya, was one of the great... Rabbanim in the times of the Tanoim, he was a Talmud Chavah of Reb Meir. It wasn't. It was no small fries. Acher was great. He was mamish from the greatest Hamid Chachamim of our of ever. And yet the Gemara says there's a Yerushalmi about it. There's a Babli about how he went off the derech and he's ended up being Mechal Shabbos, Mechal Yemekipurim, all the worst things. He mamish the first, perhaps the first person to go off the derech. In such a in such a radical way, and the Gemara in, uh, in Chagiga and the Tesav and asks, what exactly happened to Acher? If we'd have to find the root of the problem of Acher, when did it happen? Between first Seder, night Seder, second Seder, Roshani and Kippur, exactly. When does when does somebody like Acher go off the derech? How does that happen? How do you take a person that's mamish? From the Gedolei HaGedolim, and he should go off the derech so vite, so with such extremities. How does that happen? The Yerushalmi says one thing, the Bavli says another. Without, we're not going to go into the Yerushalmi today. It's a whole other shmuz. But the Bavli says a fascinating thing about Acher. Two things that happened to Acher. First of all, the Gemara says Zemer Yevani Leipaslek Mipume, Greek. Music did not ever depart his lips. He was singing, he was into Gaisha music. Gaisha music, a lot of us believe, is something that's very benign. It's something that we can indulge in. It's something that it's an escape that we enjoy. It's, you know, everybody, every, every person I ever said, you know, why do you listen to Gaisha music? Oh, because Jewish music is horrible. You ever heard Jewish music? I can't stand Jewish music. Gaisha music is beautiful. It's Geval, it's Geschmack. Jewish music compared to God, you can't compare. You've never heard good, you know, Gaiyish music unless you're this band, that band, that that singer. But you have to know that when you listen to Gaiyish music, it does something. Somehow, some way, if there's words, it's pasha that it does something. If there are words, the Gaiyish words itself, you know, the words, whatever they are, if it's uh, if it's Avedizara words, if it's Arayas words, if it's if it's Shvicha uh, words, whatever it is, it does something in the in the neshama. It, do, it takes away from the neshama, it chips away. One ballad at a time, it's chipping away in our neshama. And even just music itself, if it comes from a not pure source, and I know that Jews, a lot of the Jewish songs are borrowed, or whatever, that's another shmuz. But basically, you have to know that Gaiyashim music is not good. It's not good for our neshama. The more we listen, even though we think, well, it's good, it, it's able to relax me, there is something about it that if it comes from a trait and a source, is not good for our amuna. And that's what tripped up Acher. And the second thing that is more negayatos is, there was something in his heart that was corrupted because when he ever he would get up from first Seder, or from night Seder. There were Sifrei Minin. There was Apikorsisha books on his lap that fell. He was engaging not only in Tyra, but he was also had other foreign interests. He had interest in literature. 
he had interest in Greek mythology, if that would fit in the timeline. He had interest in all types of other deus, minus, apicursus, all the blogs and all the websites and all the trefina literature about religion, about belief, questioning our faith. All of these things, even if you think that you're reading it to be broad-minded and to be cultured and to meet some sort of core curriculums, all of these things are hazard shape and these are things that are going to erode their munet, not shayach. For a person to read such material without walking away weaker in the amunah. And so the first thing that you have to do is put a tourniquet. When a person is bleeding, you have to do a tourniquet. You have to put something very drastic on. You have to stop completely the bleeding. And you have to stop looking at these things. Any form of material, listening to things. Sometimes, you know, you're listening to the radio and it might be like a news station and all of a sudden they interrupt for a, you know, for a message from a certain galof. Or for that matter, for a certain rabbi, from a reformed conservative rabbi. And you know, this is interesting. Shut the radio. You're not, it's also to listen to these things. Besides for the lav of Al-Tifnu Al-Alilam, which I think we discussed this year already, there is a lav of chipping away your amuna. The more that you listen to these things, the more that you engage in these things, the more that you, you indulge your curiosity, it comes with a very, very steep price. And that is that the amuna is abgeschwach. The amuna gets schwach. The amuna gets weaker and weaker and weaker until you say, I don't really want to go to davening. I don't want to learn. I don't know if I want to do anything anymore. Because who knows? Big question mark. The question marks cannot come. And if they do come, we have to stop them. If it's not too late, we have to stop by not engaging in such literature or in such reading. It's the most basic of basics. But if it's in a class, and I have to tell you something, it's not just when you go to college that you have this. My son who is in fourth grade in a local yeshiva, a from yeshiva Baruch Hashem, he comes home and I told you last week I was studying, I studied Kemat every day with him, he has tests and tests and tests, many more Nisyanis than Avraham Avinu had. He has every day Nacha test and Nacha test, ridiculous. But, so one day, last week or two weeks ago, he had a social studies test. So we were studying about the American Indians, and specifically in New York, and whatever the Indian tribe was. So it's discussing, you know, the teepees and the and the wigwams and the uh, and the uh, and the um, when you have the meeting, what's a powwow, right? All these things, all you know, it's fascinating stuff. But then all of a sudden, it starts bringing in about what they believed in, and it starts saying about. I don't even want to say it's also to say in a base medrash. But it starts telling about the beliefs of these Indians, the religious beliefs. And I said, Shlomo, we're not allowed to learn this. It's also to learn this. Go back, show it to your Rebbe, and tell him what's going on here. It's not public school. There's, it's also to what, whatsoever. You're not allowed to look at these things. And if a person in fourth grade, now it's a fourth grade, what do you want? In the, if, it, if in fourth grade they put a seed in your mind that a shayach for spirits or whatever the, the Indians believed in to exist, then that might say, wait a minute, maybe that's taco. They're also entitled to their belief. We have our belief, they have their belief. Maybe who says we're right, maybe they're right. And it starts young, and then it gets worse and worse and worse. And then when we're 20, when we're 30, when we're 50, it's a completely, it's a full-grown tree in our brain. And it's very, very hard to get back that basic amuna. So that's the first thing. By the way, included in this, including what we're saying today, is also any jokes about the Amuna. You know, we might not read stuff, Chas we wouldn't read anything that's, that's Kthiris, that's Minas, that's Apicursus, but a lot of times we'll say jokes. We'll say jokes, you know, or we'll get emails, you know, about jokes about, uh, you know, something, you know, a video joke or a, uh, you know, some sort of comic strip joke about the obvious, about Meshra Bainer, it's very funny. And what do you do? You send it to your, you know, to another, you send it off, you forward it to another couple of people. Because of that, you have no idea how much the Amuna is shvachen by these things also. Rebach Ber once said that he heard a joke about the Ovis when he was a young Bacher, and he spends his entire life trying to uproot that joke from his head, and he can't. 
When you hear things, it makes a Rishon, whether or not you understand how powerful it is or not, the Kayach of Leitzamas. All of these types of things that we see, it's also clear. It's also Minas. It could be very well meaning, I might want to make other people laugh. But when you have jokes that are going to negate the, the, the dust, connected the religion, undermining the Kayach of Matantara, of the Oves, of the Asimakas, all of these things are things you have to be very, very careful about. And when you send that email to another person and that email goes viral and it's to thousands of people, it's because of you. You are causing directly a bad hashpa in the world and undermining the Anayich Hashem Lekecho. Another very basic thing to how to keep our amuna strong is to not go after Titus. It, the more we run after Titus, the more we are materialistic, the more we're interested in having everything that this world has to offer. All of these Titus leads us to Minos and Fira. What do I mean? Rabbi Khanan says a great vart in Kaibitz Mamarim, he says, that the Gemara says, "Lesasuru achrei levavchem zu minus." The Gemara, the Gemara says this in Brachis, and that Yud Beis and Mebeis, "Lesasuru achrei levavchem zu minus." Minus Fira. Where is the? Where do you know that it's also to follow Apikursus? "Lesasuru achrei levavchem." Frater Bochanan, what do you mean? Minus is not a is not a, a lave. The lave is not the seat of Minos. Lave is Arias. Tavis is the lave. I have a desire. I, I lost. That's the heart. Minos is the brain. Minos is a person, you know, like, you know, the, what's the, what's the, uh, Rodan, you know, the thinker, like, you know, you have a statue, the, the philosophers, that's all the Minos, all the Apikar, that's the Chayr, that's, that's in the brain. That's somebody that's a deep thinker and thinking about, you know, who created the world and, and is it Shayach and Rabbanishayam and this and that. That's the Chayr, a mind thing. That should be like, what does a lave have to do with Minos? And Rabbi Khanan says, you know why? Because all Minos, if you dig deep enough and you see people that are going off the derech, that are interested in Kfira, that are interested in other deists, in other beliefs, all of that stems, says Rabbi Khanan, from Taiba. The lave, it starts in the lave. You know why? I have a taiva for Minos. You know why I think about Abed Zara? It's because I'm not going to go today as Yeshiva Bacher and start, you know, doing crazy stuff. I'm Yeshiva Bacher. I have a conscience. The first step that I have to do is, in order to get to where I want to go, if my lave wants to get and do the taivas, I have to go via, I have to make a little detour and go via Minos. Minos is the, oh, is the matir for taivas. Because if I could say, I don't know if, if I believe in the Rabbi Nishalim, the Rabbi Nishalim's mitzvah in me to do this and not to do that, so how dare I do that? How, how dare I go against him? So, but I want to do it. My heart wants me to do these types. My heart wants me to enjoy life like I am enjoy life. I want to do that. How do I get there? I get there by scratching my head and say, ooh, maybe, maybe the Rabbi Nishalim is, is, it's not so partial on Maybe there is a Likim Acherim. Acherim. And maybe if there's a Likim Acherim, then, the Torah might not be Amos. And that will permit me to go and be, do Taibas. So Rebbe says that if you want to know why the lave is connected to, to, to Minos, it's because Minos is the, it's the outcome of the Taibas HaLev. person has a Taib in his heart and he wants to do those Taibas, he can't do it without first going through the station called Minos. The train must pass by Minos in order to get to fulfill his Taibas. And we actually find this in this week's parsha as well. Rabbi Aaron Kartler says that Esav was not a kaifer be'ikar per se. The Medrash says that day he was kaifer be'ikar, the day that he that he sold his bechayra. But he was still a mime, and you see later it bothered him that he didn't get the bracha. So clearly he still had a muna. The only problem with Esav was that he was a baltaiva. That for an azid adoshim, because he wanted something now, 
I want an Ezid Adashim, I'm willing to sell the entire Bechairah, my entire Nitzchias, all for a Taiva that I have now. And so for that, temporarily, he became a Taifa Be'ikr. But that's not really what he was. And the same thing is true for us. If we are running after Taivas, if we're very fascinated and very, very uh, attracted by all of the Taivas around us, and if we look at movies, and if we read magazines, and we watch TV shows, and we fantasize about how cool it would be if we were able to live an unfettered lifestyle, and that's really what we want, the more we engage in such fantasy, the easier it is to become an Apikaris. Because the Apikaris is the natural next stage. After Taiva comes Apikaris. So again, so far we have to stay away from any form of minos, any literature, materials, it doesn't matter if you're taking a course, if in your college course, for whatever reason, your professor is spewing words of fear and apicursus, come to me and we'll take care of it. But it's mamish, that's one of the principles Dr. Lander always was very macro when he founded this institution, he was always, he used to call it, chulen shenasal tarets hakaydash. He wanted, he understands that there is chayl, there is a mude chayl, but it should be Nasa Paris Hakaj has to be done with Kedusha. And it has to be properly sifted and separated out all of the tarfas, all of the minas, all the kfira that other schools, other universities might have. That's not what we have here. And if you see that there is a professor that's teaching some things like that, so come to me and we'll deal with it. But that's number one. No joking about the Adas. Everything has to be serious and with an absolute conviction, we have to try to steer away from Taivas as much as possible because with Taivas comes also these, these inyanim of stakas because these stakas are manufactured and fabricated in order to permit ourselves to do Taivas. And two more things. The first thing in order to implement a munachushis. How do we get this close? So far, those things were more sumerah. What do we do actually? What can we do to firm up our amuna? To make sure that our relationship with the Rabbi Shalom is mamish real? What's there to do? So the first thing to do is that when we daven, we have to daven as if the Rabbi Shalom is mamish in front of us. That's how halacha and davening. We're supposed to be ki'ilu oimid melech. And we're even allowed to say, Baruch Atah Hashem. I always say, you know, when we speak to our Rabbeim, we say, we speak to him in the third person. Does Rabbi want a coffee? How's Rabbi feeling? Uh, where's Rabbi going to be this Shabbos? When we speak to the Rabbi we don't say, you know, Baruch Hashem. We say, Baruch Atah Hashem. We are talking directly in first person. We're permitted to do something that we don't even do to our Rabbeim. We don't have to speak to the Rabbi like a, an abstract force. But we speak to Rabbi Nisham direct. You know why we do that? Because tefillah is amuna. And if we are, are permitted to speak to Rabbi Nisham like we would speak to another human being, normal, comfortably, and we speak to Rabbi Nisham, Atta, you. So then that creates an amuna chushis within us. And not just during tefillah, but every time during the day, the G'daylam, the G'daylam Musar, they would say, speak to the Rabbi Shalom. If you're having a problem, don't just stop, think and worry. Speak, speak it out with the Rabbi Shalom. Say, what should I do now? Rabbi Shalom, I don't know what to do. I'm going crazy. Or if you're in a happy time, Baruch Hashem, thank you so much. You've done so good. I'm so happy. Baruch Hashem, you gave me this. Or you allowed me to do that. If you speak to the Rabbi Shalom like a friend, like a real person, as Roshwab says, if you speak to the Rabbi Shalom, mamish, like a person would speak to another, that is how we strengthen our amuna. He's real. He's not just a vague concept, an eye in the sky that we don't really are, we're not able to identify. He's so removed from us. We believe that the Rabbi Shalom is mamish as close as close can be. And the more that we speak to him personally, I think Rabbi Victor Miller used to advocate, he used to be very into these types of things, of bringing the amuna very lamaisa. And he said that sometimes what you should do is, 
you should go in the old days they had phone booths you don't know what that is I mean if you have to you know all we have to do is put our hands in our pockets and pull out a cell phone in the old days you have to find the phone booth if you had to make a call and you weren't home or in your office you had to go and all there were these boxes which you know with doors that open sometimes a light would come on when you open it and you'd go in there you'd put money in an actual phone and and it would work and that's how people do he says sometimes if you're like in an airport and you're you're bored and sometimes you miss your flight or you have to wait if you come a little early he says go into the phone booth sit in there and talk on the phone to the Rabbani Shalom talk as if you're talking to the Rabbani Shalom on the phone because when he speaks to the Rabbani Shalom you know it's too abstract if you pick up a phone you speak to the Rabbani Shalom through a phone it sounds a little far-fetched and bizarre but it works because what it's doing is it's making that the Rabbani Shalom is mamish a being He's not some, you know, a, a force that we don't understand. You bring him very lamaisa, and that's the way it's supposed to be. That's what Amuna is. Amuna is kasha yisa. I believe in the Rabbi Yisham, like I know my mother exists, like I know my father exists. That's how I know that the Rabbi Yisham exists. And if you're saying, well, I don't know, that's not Amuna. Amuna has to be Amuna Shalema. It has to be Avadai Shemai Kainti Lotsa. If you're praising the Rabbi Yisham, it has to be Avadaos. Without any fakes, without any question marks, pure and straight and honest and simple and strong. And finally, an eighth that the stipler gives. The stipler has a sefer called Kraina de Igrisa. We have it in Yeshiva. It's a three-volume set. And what it is is basically letters that the stipler wrote to people that would ask him questions. Many of them were yeshiva bachim, and questions of all sorts. It's a fascinating read. I, when I was in Beis early, like second year Beis Medrash, I made a seder with somebody. We went through a lot of these letters in Kriyat Jigrisa, and it's is a muster sefer. You see the das of the stipler, and the stipler was asked by a bachar who had a shaky amuna, he wasn't sure about Tarim and Hashemayim, and others say, what do I do? How do I, how do I rehabilitate myself? How do I detox myself from all the schmutz that I've listened to, that I've heard, that I've, that I've believed, or that I've entertained? What do I do? How do I get it out of my system? And the stipler speaks about a lot of issues, but one thing that really resonated with me at least, was that if a person has these types of things kicking around in his head, the best way to purge it out of your system, to basically do a, uh, if you'll pardon the expression, a colonoscopy of all of the schmutz that's in our, in our minds and in our hearts. How do you do that? Zuck discipler, Shmira Shabbos Kelchasar. Shabbos, if a person keeps Shabbos properly, the Gemara says, if a person keeps Shabbos Kilchasa properly, even if the person is terrible I worshipped. I washed everything, I looked at everything, I thought about everything, I explored and I experienced, I experimented everything. Like Darenish, it's still possible to detox yourself from all of that schmutz. Through Shmir Shabbos Kelchasa. If a person keeps Shabbos, it doesn't mean just the way, you know, okay, I always keep Shabbos, you know, I, 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 we, you know, we don't work, and, you know, then I go back to my dorm room after the Suda or after the Tish, and I, you know, look at a Sports Illustrated, I look at the, uh, the New York Times, I look at, uh, you know, Yetzad Neman, whatever it is, and that's my Shabbos, you know, Jewish press, these are things that I do on Shabbos, that's my Shabbos relaxation, fine! That's not what the stifler is talking about. The stifler says you need a heavy dose of Shabbos. What does that mean? The stifler says, To be medactic on Shabbos. To not just um, keep Shabbos like we've always been keeping Shabbos, but to keep Shabbos extra special. To keep Shabbos with all the dikdukim. To be machmir on the Shabbos. That when there's a shayla and Allah, not to say Aram Mekel, but to be machmir, to be medatic extra. 
says, if you can avoid speaking Tavarim Betelim on Shabbos, which is Stam also the way you speak on Shabbos is not supposed to be the way, the same exact way that we speak during the week. Friday and Shabbos is not just, uh, the only difference between Friday and Shabbos is not whether we could drive a car or, or use our computers. Shabbos, the way our mahus has to be different. Our speech has to be different. We're not allowed to talk about a lot of things. We're not allowed to discuss things, business matters, political matters, other types of inyanim, unless it's mamish for tzarech mitzvah, you're not allowed to speak about it on Shabbos. You're not allowed to speak to and Betelim on Shabbos. So it's really also halacha, but we don't keep this halacha. Tysus says, Tysus brings, I think from the Yerushalmi, that the Kashi Tiru, even to say good Shabbos on Shabbos of Chiddush, they have to, they have to mamish stretch and be make of halacha just for us to say good Shabbos to one another on Shabbos. That's how Chamer it is to speak about things on Shabbos that's not Shabbosdik and that's not Kedushadik. And so the disciple says, you want to know how to rid your system of fear if you have it inside, if you were brought up with certain ideas or you are sort of attracted or you have surfed the internet enough to have a lot of other ideas kicking around in your brain that are not allowing you to daven properly and learn properly and believe properly, keep Shabbos. Shabbos is the promise that even if you're Ebed Avedizara, but you're Mamish Shaymer Shabbos Kehilchasa, you not just keep Shabbos, that's a cheap way of doing it. You live Shabbos, you breathe Shabbos, you inhale Shabbos, you swim in the ocean of Shabbos, you immerse in the Kedusha of Shabbos. You act differently on Shabbos, and you're Mamish, you're able to imbibe all of the Ruach of Shabbos. That says the stifler is one great hakana to masakin all of the avaydazaras that are in our system. And so we have an opportunity tonight as we come into a, another Shabbos. And if we feel that we have these in, in yanim, these sort of fakas, as minor as they may be, and our amuna is not as perfect as we would like it to be, and it's not so black and white, there's a lot of gray, Shabbos will try to enter Shabbos properly, not to schmooze so much on Shabbos, petty matters, sichas chulen, tvarim b'telem, things that are on a gay Shabbos, not to read things on Shabbos, even if they're Jewish newspapers, or Jewish magazines, or all of these things that might be very from and good during the week to read. But Shabbos is not a time to read about political current events, to read about the news, to read about all of the things going on in the world. There's one thing to do on Shabbos, and that's to engage in Devarim Shabbat to learn, to daven, to think, to strengthen our emunah that the Rabbi Shalom created the world in Sheshes Yom, Uvayim Ashri Shalas Ayinachash, Yakarish Baruch was Bayre Umanig, Yakarish Baruch was the Hayahay of the Year, that Abadai Shemai Kainti Lossai. And if we can engage in all of these things, in the Surmeiraz and the Asaitaivs, then and only then will our amuna once again be whole and pure. And then we can again engage in Anayich Hashem Lekecha, because Anayich Hashem Lekecha is with a firm Lo And Amir Hashem, we could take the amuna Le'elo Le'elo and grow with our amuna, strengthen our faith in the Rabbanish so that we will be the perfect Abdi Hashem as He